Good morning. Let me get set up here this morning. So um, immediately following uh, worship, actually before worship is out, I'm actually going to scoot. Uh, some of you received an email from, this, from me this week uh, that Betty Campbell, uh, one of our uh, congregational uh, partners, uh, went home to be with the Lord this week. And so I'm heading over to East Lawn. Uh, so uh, I will not see you after worship this morning. I'm heading out a little bit early and I've asked uh, Jeff and John to preside at communion and all that good stuff. So it's not that I don't like any of you. It's just that I need to go. I've got somewhere else I need to be this morning. Uh, over at East Lawn, uh, Betty Campbell. I know some of you uh, knew her. She usually sat right over where Doug is. Uh, yeah, right there. Usually right ahead of you, Doug. And uh, yeah, she was a very faithful uh, partner, uh, worshiping with us a lot. So today, of course, as uh, has been stated, it is Reformation Sunday. And many of you know uh, that Martin Luther was the guy that posted those 95 theses uh, or 95 arguments uh, against the, the powers of the day, uh, the Roman Catholic Church, and said, hey, let's talk. And uh, so uh, it was, he was kind of a big guy uh, in terms of the, the importance uh, that uh, he led. And, and many of you also know uh, that Martin Luther was the guy uh, who translated uh, scripture, the Bible, uh, from the original Greek and Latin, uh, into the language of the people, into German, into the common language of the people. And, and I think, I got to tell you, for someone who studied languages, uh, what's more, even more impressive about uh, the work that he did with Bible translation is that all of his books, all of his resources were about 100 miles away because he was actually hiding at the time. And so he didn't have Google Translate. He didn't have any of his books with him. He just had to, off the top of his head, remember what all the groups, Greek words and all the syntax uh, and how to conjugate all those verbs and do all that stuff and Latin. And, and he just kind of did it off the top of his head and he sat down for a few months and translated uh, scripture. Luther, in fact, um, wrote a lot. And uh, so if uh, he actually has 60 volumes, six zero volumes. And when I say volume, I'm talking books. Uh, think of like a, a dictionary, 60 of them, um, kind of theologically unpacking scripture, commentary on scripture. I mean, he, he spent a lot of time in scripture really studying it and writing about it, saying, hey, what does this mean for our lives? And so if you ever look at his 60 volumes of writing, it's like, wow. Luther also wrote a lot of letters uh, to other people. Um, he's, in fact, got six volumes. Again, each one is about this thick. Six of them of just letters that he wrote to different people around Europe. He was, he was an academic. He was a scholar, right? And so um, he went to college when he was 17. He got a, a bachelor's degree. He got a, ma a couple master's degrees. Um, he got a PhD. I mean, he was, he was an academic's academic. He was a very cerebral, smart guy. And he, he was so busy uh, writing all these things. Now, keep in mind, of course, Luther was also the guy who was leading the Protestant Reformation. So he wasn't just, his heads were not just in the books, but he was out there speaking and doing all sorts of things. And oh, by the way, he spent most of his time hiding from the powers of the day because uh, at best they wanted to arrest him, but because he was branded a heretic, uh, they wanted to execute him. 
uh, for the work that he was doing. And so he wasn't just this guy sitting in a, you know, some kind of college somewhere writing and doing the stuff and writing all these things. Now, Luther wrote a lot, a lot, a lot. And in fact, his works were translated uh, from German into English, and it took uh, scholars uh, nearly 100 years. Imagine that. That's how much this guy wrote. I mean, he wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. There are 120 volumes of books of Luther's writings. I mean, this guy was busy. And if he wasn't just busy enough writing and doing all that, Luther did not primarily view himself as a, as a writer. He viewed himself as a preacher. That was his main work. He thought, this is what my role is. And later in his life, uh, he was once asked, how many sermons did you preach? And, and he calculated and estimated that over the course of his life, he preached about 7,000 sermons which over the course of his life averages to about four a week, right? I'm like, holy smokes, this guy was busy preaching. He just would travel everywhere. He oversaw 11 monasteries, and so he was an administrator uh, of these monks at these different monasteries. And so he's traveling around, and he's preaching in these churches, and he's trying to help people solve problems in the church. The, the church back then was very different than today. They had problems in the church, and there were disagreements and misunderstandings, and he would sit down with the people in the, in the churches and say, okay, what's going on? And he would listen to people. And, and they would pour out their hearts and point their fingers at one another. And Luther was kind of the guy that would kind of mediate all the problems and the issues in the life of the church. And you look at Luther's life and you have to ask yourself, how in the world did this guy accomplish so much? I mean, how did he do it? I mean, for me, a good day is responding to most of my emails and text messages, right? And I'm like, yeah! My inbox is almost, oh, I've responded to almost everybody today. Victory, right? How in the world did Luther lead a movement without Twitter and get it all accomplished? Right? How, how did he do that? And you think to yourself, well, maybe he didn't have a family. Maybe he was a single guy who had all sorts of just, you know, he just dedicated his life uh, to leading the Protestant Reformation, to writing all this stuff, to preaching all these sermons. But the fact is, Luther was married. He married Katie. And Katie and Martin, uh, they had six children. So Martin Luther was also a family man. And they were busy running their kids to soccer practice and all the things that kids did in their day, Right? I mean, he talks a lot about his family. And by the way, he, he, he didn't just write these big theological things. He wrote devotionals that were brought into people's homes. It's called Table Talk. And they would sit around the dining room table and say, okay, what, what do you think about this? And they would have these just intimate conversations, these devotionals. And, he, and then he wrote tracts for unchurched people and helping them to understand. I mean, it is just beyond amazing how much this guy accomplished. And you think, well... I don't know, maybe he lived to be a thousand years old or something like that, right? Maybe he just lived a good long life. But Martin Luther died at 62 years old. He was not an old man. In fact, he preached a sermon, had some chest pains. He couldn't even finish the sermon, so they took him off to a room close by the church in a house. Within a matter of days, he was dead. I mean, Luther did not live a long day a long life 
So how in the world did Luther accomplish all this? Well, he gave us some insight into how he was able to accomplish so much in his life. One day in his journal, he was just reflecting on all the work that he had before him. And he wrote in his journal, I've got so much to do today. So many things on my agenda. So many things filling my calendar. I need to spend at least the first three hours in prayer. Three hours in prayer. That's incredible. See, Luther knew that he could accomplish nothing significant aside from the power of prayer, the reliance on God and the Holy Spirit. And he had to spend three hours surrendering himself, just pouring out his life before God, saying, God, I need your help. I can't do it all. And the truth is, Luther, of course, had extraordinary faith. Would you love to have that kind of faith in your life that just, man, I got so much going on in my life, Lord. I need to spend three hours before I get to any of it just sitting with you, having conversation with you and emptying myself out to you. And so we thought for a few weeks, we'd spend some time talking about what it means to have faith. We use faith in, you know, just all sorts of different uh, uh, casual ways. But what does it mean to truly have faith? What does it mean to have faith? And we thought, well, let's spend the next few weeks unpacking faith. And we're going to look at just one chapter in the Bible, Hebrews 11. If you've got your Bibles this morning, I want to invite you to go to Hebrews 11. And uh, each week we're going to chunk it up and look at a different section, a different passage of Hebrews 11. And, and if you've grown up in the church, you've been around the church at all, you know that Hebrews 11 is it's known as the great cloud of witnesses. It's, it's kind of the hero's uh, hero, who's who of the Old Testament. It's, it's all those famous people and how they lived by faith. And so for a few weeks, we're going to talk about what it means to live by faith, to walk by faith to be in community by faith. And this morning, we're going to look um, at that most of us are familiar with, uh, a guy by the name of Abraham. Abraham, let us pray. Oh God, we thank you for this day of gathering together. This reminder, God, that life is a battle, that life is a struggle, but Lord, you give us tools, you equip us, and you empower us to fight those battles. Too often, God, we, we, we fight the battles on our own. We do things on our own strength. And so, Lord, today as we're reminded again how Luther, how Abraham, how so many others laid down their battle weapons and trusted in you and picked up their faith and fought the battles that were surrounding them, all around them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hebrews 11, beginning with verse 1. And by the way, I'm going to give you five, if you want to write in your Bibles this morning or take notes, I'm going to give you five, five battles of faith. So you could just write in your margin five battles of faith that we're going to look at in the passage today. Now, faith 
is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Now, I want to stop there uh, just a moment and, and, and make some kind of obvious statements about faith. Faith is, is, is that thing that we're looking into the future. And if the future was certain, we wouldn't need to have faith, right? Because we know what the future is. So there's this element of looking forward. And we ask ourselves, what does the future hold? What does the future hold? And, and, and so the first thing I want to, the, the battle that I want to talk to you about is, is the battle of the what. It's looking into the future without knowing the what. And that's, that's all of us this morning, right? We don't know what the future is. Now, what the writer of Hebrews says, or writes here, is now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Now, so he, he talks about uh, faith and hope. And we, we uh, society, oftentimes interchanges these words, faith and hope. But they're two very different things. And so let me kind of unpack these with you a little bit this morning. Hope is forward-looking, right? It's looking into the future. I hope it stops raining today. I hope the sun comes out today. I hope we have a great winter. Um, I hope um, I get a date for the Halloween dance this weekend. I hope I get a raise at my job. I hope, you know, it's all these things that we hope for. I hope... The Bears win against the Chargers today, right? It's just, it's just what we're longing for. But, but the truth is, when we look into the future, it's kind of a coin toss because the, the Bears are what, like three and three? I mean, it's, it's a toss-up. Maybe they'll win, maybe they won't. And so when we, we hope for something in the future, it's like, yeah, it's, it's kind of wistful. It's, it's, this is my wish. This is my desire. I'm just looking into the future. I hope this happens. But... I don't know, it might not happen, right? That is hope. Faith is very different than hope. Faith is also looking into the future, but it also has one foot in the past. Faith is looking forward, but it's also anchoring in the past. It's not just based on our hopes or our desires, but it says there's assurance, there's confidence. So it's hope plus confidence, hope plus uh, assurance that, that leads us into the future. And it's, it's, not, it's based on something. It's based on the past. That's what faith is. It's looking forward, but anchored in the past. And we're going to look today at Abraham's life and how the people of who the writer was writing to in Hebrews, they were looking back. And that's the key distinction. It's not just, oh, I hope this. It's I, I have faith in this because of this. This thing or these people or these circumstances that happened in the past. In the past. So the battle, uh, the first battle is um, the, the future is uncertain for what we do not know, for what we do not know. Seeing without, uh, uh, we're not seeing um, what we're looking for into the future. All right, let's move on. This is what the ancients were commended for. Again, here the, 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 the language moving to the past. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went, 
even though he did not know where he was going. Now, Hebrews was written about 2,000 years ago, what I just read to you, 2,000 years before Abraham walked on the earth. So they're looking way back 2,000 years ago. So he says, hey, when Abraham walked on the earth, remember that 2,000 years ago, God came to Abraham and said, I want you to go. I want you to go to a place. Now, Abraham at the time, he lived in an area called Ur, which is in modern-day Iraq today. He said, I want you to go to the promised land, to Canaan. I want you to go west. I want you to just start walking and Abraham's like, well, where do I go? He's like, just start walking. Go. Go that way. Just start moving. And this also becomes a, a, a battle or a challenge for us. It's the future. It's not just about what, but it's about where. Where God is calling us. And that was the challenge. That was the battle for Abraham as well. Now, of course, Abraham, those of you who know the story, uh, he was not a young guy. Uh, he wasn't an old guy. He was just 75 years old. And, but he had spent his whole life in Ur. And God came to Abraham and said, here's what I want you to do. Pack up all your stuff and just go at 75 years of age. And he's like, well, I got a lot of sheep and a lot of cattle. I got a lot of goats. I got camels. I got servants. I, Abraham was a pretty wealthy farmer. He had a big operation, and God said, here's what I want you to do. Just bring everybody with you, okay? So this was kind of a big deal. And so all the people are like, well, where are we going, Abraham? He's like, I don't know. God just told me we're supposed to go west to Canaan. So they packed up and went. So we think about the challenge or the battle that God comes to us, and we're trying to figure out what does it mean to have faith? It means we, uh, you know, how do we live without knowing what? And it also means uh, we don't know where God is calling us to go. And I can imagine some of you are sitting here this morning thinking to yourselves, you're at a crossroads, right? You're trying to figure out where your next step is. And, and what most of you have shared with me, you're pretty sure it's not in Illinois, right? probably somewhere else. And you're just like, I can't figure out where I'm supposed to go. Am I supposed to take this job or that job? How do I decide? How do I figure it out? And I understand that's, it's, it's a big problem as we're looking into the future. It's a battle. It's a struggle to, to live by faith, to know where, where God is calling us to go. Verse 9. By faith, he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger, he lived uh, in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, who, whose architect and builder is God. And so they're walking along, and they're asking the questions that your kids are maybe asking. When are we going to get there? When is this going to happen? When is this promise going to actually happen? And Abraham's like, I don't know. And if you know the story of Abraham, he just tells a little bit about it here. They spent their time in tents. So when they got to Canaan, they never fully settled in. They didn't build a house. and They didn't you know, do all sorts of setting down roots. They were nomads. They were immigrants in this new land, as were their kids and their grandkids. So when are we going to get there? 
And that's also a battle that all of us face or struggle when it comes to faith, is this idea of looking into the future and not knowing when. See, oftentimes we, we're impatient, right? We just want God to tell us, well, when's this going to happen in my life? And I want to remind you that in Scripture, there are over 7,000 promises of God uh, for God's people. That's you. And most of those promises, God does not tell us when they're going to happen, just that they're going to happen. Now, those of us who, who are here, you know, we're going to live, I don't know, maybe 70, 80, 90, 100 years on this planet, right? We're like, come on, God, hurry it up. I need you to figure this out. But I want to remind you that God's got all of eternity to fulfill his promises. And so when God says to Abraham, I want you to go, I'm sending you to a place that you don't even know about. And guess what? It's not going to be your permanent place. Your kids are not going to build a house. They're your grandkids, aren't This is going to take a long, long time. And if you're in a season right now where you're waiting on God and really wondering, God, when is this going to happen? So is Abraham. He's wondering, when in the world is this going to happen? See, we tend to think that God's just not showing up on time, that God's late. God's not late. We're just impatient. We're always in a hurry. It's so hard for us to just wait. And our society is built around going fast and moving fast. We want it now. We want it right now. And there's this industry uh, that tells us uh, how we struggle with this idea of waiting. It's the credit card industry. And uh, in 2018, Visa, MasterCard, Discover, and American Express uh, reported 41 billion transactions. You know what a credit card is, right? Get the stuff now, pay later. So that's just in 2018. 13 trillion dollars of stuff that we got now, but we're not going to pay for till later. And that's just those four credit card companies. That doesn't include all the other ways in which we, we leverage credit, like cars and houses and student loans and all that stuff, and then pay later. I mean, we are an impatient people. We want it, and we want it right now. And God's like, you know what? I'm not a vending machine. You don't just put coins in. It takes time. And we're not working on your timeline. We're working on God's timeline. And so he says to Abraham, as you go, pack a lunch. Because it's going to be a while before you get settled, your people get settled in the land of Canaan. So the future is uncertain, and we don't know what it looks like. Faith uh, leads us into the future where we don't, where we don't know where we're going. Uh, by faith, um, we uh, look to the future not knowing when God is going to uh, fulfill his promises. Verse 11. And by faith, even Sarah who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she was considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky and as countless as the sand of the seashore. 
And all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the promises. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things uh, show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have been a better opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly home. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So back to Abraham. When God first called him to go, he's still in Ur. He's, you know, he's kind of getting up there in age a little bit. He says, Abraham, come out of your tent. I want to show you something. It's nighttime. And so he says, look up in the sky. And Abraham looks up at the sky. There's just millions of millions of stars. And God just says to, to Abraham, see all those stars? And Abraham's like, yeah, it's beautiful. God says to, to, to Abraham, look at those stars. That's how numerous your descendants are going to be. And Abraham's like, wow, I can't even imagine. But God, he's now 90 years old, right? 90. God, little problem here. My wife and I don't have any kids. We're 90 years old. How in the world are our descendants going to be this numerous? How does that happen? And of course, that's the next battle or the challenge as it relates to faith is, God, how are you going to make that happen? Because I look at my life right now, I look into the future, and I don't see how that is going to happen. Uh, about a year, well, 10 months ago, I stood before you and uh, shared with you guys the new mission and vision of Faith Lutheran Church, our new mission and vision statement. And it, it was great fun to just spend some time with you talking about where God is leading us into the future. And I said, you know what? God has called us uh, to grow disciples uh, who grow disciples. And, and we're just going to gather as a community uh, like a tabernacle. And we're going to move around with the city uh, wherever the Lord gives us space to gather together and worship and, and you guys said hey that sounds great let's do it let's just let's be this gathering of community and let's worship God together we're going to grow in our discipleship and, and then I said to you hey I have another idea let's um, gather in smaller groups we'll study God's word we'll pray together and, and we'll get together in homes or uh, the pancake house or, or wherever and we're just going to study God's word and be in smaller community and you guys said that sounds great let's do it and then I said, hey, we're going to also be about serving in the community and, and being generous with our lives and give our time, our money, and our resources. And we're just going to share our lives with the community. And you guys said, fine. sure, fine, great, wonderful, right? I mean, there was just this great momentum. And then I said, and our vision is to plant a thousand churches over the next 40 years. And you guys said, you didn't say, let's do it. <laughs> You know what everybody's comment was to me? How are we going to do that? Right? <laughs> you know what my response to every single one of you has been? I have no idea. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. We've got this vision to plant 1,000 churches over the next 40 years. And you're going, how are we going to do that? And I'm like, I don't know. But you know what? It's not my job to know. It's God's job because he's already in the future and he's called us to go there. 
We serve and worship a God of impossibilities, a God who can do things that we can't see. How are we going to plant a thousand churches in 40 years? I have no idea. Maybe some, if, if any of you guys have an idea, nobody's shared it with me yet. Right? We don't need to know how. God is the God of how. That's his specialty. So when Abraham's looking at the stars going, God, I'm 90. My wife is 90. You say we get all these descendants. How are you going to do it? And guess what? That's how many descendants Abraham and Sarah had. It's, he's the God of the how. He's the God of miracles. He's the God of what we can't see today. He's going to take care of tomorrow. And we are invited to lean in and have faith. So I don't know what your how is, where you're struggling with how today. Abraham didn't know how either. But God still showed up and led his people into the future. So Abraham and Sarah, they have a baby. You guys know this, right? Abraham and Sarah, old age, they have a baby. They name him Isaac. And Isaac, he's, he's growing up, he's doing all kind of the toddler baby things, you know, he's a cute little kid. And he gets older and older pretty soon. He's playing uh, travel soccer and travel basketball and travel baseball. And, and they're just, you know, they're just Abraham, uh, I, uh, Sarah, and Isaac. They're just this cute little family running around doing all sorts of stuff. And then pretty soon, Isaac becomes a teenager. And God comes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, here's what I need you to do. I want you to sacrifice your son, Isaac, on a stone altar. Now, this is one of the most disturbing, difficult stories of the Old Testament, right? God promised all those descendants and he gave them Isaac. Why would God take away that one child? And furthermore, why would a loving God offer, uh, ask Abraham to sacrifice his son? Besides the fact that he was a teenager, right? <laughs> I, mean, it's, I mean, when you think about it, it it's such an awful, difficult story and dilemma. And so, so what does Abraham do? Isaac! Meet me out by the shed. I want to show you something. So he goes out and he gets the biggest axe that he can find. And he meets Isaac out by the altar. And Abraham is prepared, fully prepared, to sacrifice his son. And those of us who are parents are like, I don't get it. This makes no sense. What's wrong with God? What's wrong with this story? It makes zero sense. Abraham is facing a senseless situation. Verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. It's a senseless story. And I, 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 I don't fully understand this story either, and I've had many people just really lament, what in the world was God thinking? But it's also a great reminder of having faith 
when we don't understand why. Right? So it's the last battle, the last struggle, the last challenge I want you to think about is how do we look into the future and have faith without knowing, without understanding why? Why would God do this? And oftentimes as I talk to people, especially people who are going through senseless situations, things that don't, situations that just don't make sense, I, I, they want to know why, right? It's a very natural human response. Why is this happening? Why did that happen? And so we try and come up with all sorts of explanations for the why. But the truth is, no matter, even if you have the why, even if you fully know the why, it's still not going to help you any because the pain is still there. The struggle is still there. The hurt is still there, even when you know the why. So if you've come to worship this morning and you're wondering, why isn't God making this happen? Why isn't God doing this? Why are these things happening in my life? If I just had an explanation, if I just knew why, then I'd have faith. And I'm here to tell you, it doesn't work that way you wouldn't feel any better. You wouldn't. You wouldn't feel any better because the hurt and the pain and the struggle are still there. You might have heard in the, in the news uh, just a couple days ago, a 21-year-old uh, in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, Truett McKeon, his dad is Toby Mack, who's a Grammy Award-winning Rapper, singer, performer, travels all over the place. He got news while he was on tour that his 21-year-old son had died. And of course, the first question is, what? How? When? Go down the list, right? And then you go to why. How is it that a 21-year-old young man with his life before him is gone in an instant? My wife and I have a 21-year-old son. Some of you get it. This is not playing around. This is real. He went on tour, and he gets the phone call that his son, Truett, has died. And so this is what Toby Mack uh, posted uh, on his social media account. He writes, uh, My last moment with Truett in person what is his, what at, was at his first show this past Thursday, which is about a week and a half ago, at the factory in Franklin, Tennessee. I had to leave the next morning very early to fly and start our Canadian tour. As I stood in the audience and watched my son bring joy to a room, I was as proud as pop as Truett called me could be. It was the culminating moment of a dream that had since he had since he was 12. It couldn't have been sweeter. Our music and what we say lyrically couldn't be more different, but the outcome was much the same, offering a room full of people a few minutes of joy in this crazy world. My wife and I want the world to know this. We don't follow God because we have some sort of under-the-table deal with him. Like we follow you if you bless us. We follow God because we love him. It's our honor. He is the God of the hills and the valleys. And he is beautiful above all things. 
I think this Instagram post describes exactly what it means to have faith when we don't understand the why. God, I worship you, I serve you, I love you. Not because of what you've done for me, just because you love me and you are good and you are faithful. And I don't understand the why. And Toby and his wife are never going to understand the why. That much I'm sure of. But they live in that trust, in, in that faith. that Because how God has been faithful in their past, he is going to take them into the future. And that's really the story of Abraham, right? How God had called him to reach back into his past, to, to look at God's faithfulness in the past and, and then move forward into the future. And I think that's God's same invitation for you and for me today. He's inviting us to look back and to struggle with all those questions of looking forward, the what, the when, the where, the, the how, and even the why. See, I trust you. I'm following you because you have been worthy of following in the past for God's people for generations. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who is good and faithful. And Lord, uh, I have so many questions, and I know the good people of our congregation do as well. And Lord, you've called this congregation Faith, Faith Lutheran Church, people that you've invited to step into the future, well, anchored to the past. And so God, we don't know where you're taking us. We don't know how you're taking us. We don't know when you're taking us. God, some days we don't even know why you're taking us. Except for you love us, you care for us, and you have plans for us. And so, Lord, as individuals, as a congregation, help us to live by faith. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer.